Hello, and welcome to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm Brendan, I'm here with Doug, and a special guest of ours, Elle. She is the producer for a game that I found recently and really got into, called Oranami Origami. How's it going, uh, Elle? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, so this game was, I found it off the London Dare website. What exactly is that? Uh, Ludum, Ludum, Ludum Dare? Dare? Yeah, okay, so Ludum Dare is a large international competition. Um, it's kind of the biggest indie game gig. Uh, there's two, there's two categories, the jam and the compo. Compo's 48 hours, single developer, jam is for teams, and 72 hours. And this competition, the way it works is that you get a theme at the beginning, and then you've got this short time frame to make your game, and then at the end, you ship whatever product you have, and that's it. Oh, wow. So you're telling me you guys finished this whole game in three days? Yeah. Wow. Three days. That's impressive. That is better than <laughs> some people have for years and a massive budget. I'm looking at Bulletstorm in particular. <laughs> Get that game Shots so fired. <laughs> Pun intended. All right. I make it a purpose to try and insult that game every time I can. Um, oh. <laughs> so, are you guys planning on working on any new ones coming up? Any new competition? Um, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, we competed like four times in a row last year, so I'm not sure if we're going to be continuing with the competition viewpoint or doing some small-scale development or, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that, but... Future's open. Oh, okay. Do you plan on maybe just sitting out of it a few times so you can have more than more than a week to work on a game and see how far you guys can get along on maybe a bigger project? Yeah. Um, right now, I personally am trying to hone some more skills with concept art and with mechanical design. Uh, and I also have a like a small side thing where we're setting up something for Congregate. So, oh, okay. you know, I mean, it's just, it's a work in progress at the moment. <laughs> oh, so is this podcast, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very familiar <laughs> yeah. with that. What, what was um, the, your mindset like, given such like a short amount of time for a game? Like, how did you guys organize it? Like, like who, was, who took control and how did it all go down? Okay, well, I was actually working a job at that time. I had a... I was working as a math tutor and I had a student that I needed to get ready for finals. So what happened was that we started off in, we just started off in chat like you usually do. You go off to Skype, you say, here's the theme, what are the ideas, you hopefully come up with something within a couple hours. You have some kind of game design document that you cook up by midnight, and then the next day, I had to go off to work, and I was like frantically texting, like, "Oh my God! So are those textures done? Like, what what's going <laughs> on with the team?" Like, I <laughs> I went off to the bathroom and like called up and was like, "Hey, <laughs> what's the status report?" So that's just how it went. That's wild, yeah. Keep in contact and hope it turns out okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Now, for anyone who hasn't played the game, I highly recommend it. But it's a uh, platformer. And you play as a sort of a paper fox, and the main mechanic of the game is being able to fold 
like entire halves of the level on top of each other to form platforms. I gotta say, it's definitely one of the more unique mechanics in a game I've seen, regardless of the scale. How did definitely. you guys come up with the idea to just fold over whole stages? Okay, um, so my other job is as a Chinese literature research assistant. Oh, wow. And wow. when they said entire game on one screen, the first thing I thought of was folding screen. And then uh, Mark, Magma McFry, the programmer, came in and said, okay, well, maybe not that. Maybe what if we did a piece of paper? And then I was like, oh, okay, origami. Let's Let's do an origami game. And then from there, we spitballed and we got, you know, we got the basic mechanics down. We figured out, um, <laughs> we had some arguments about whether you should be able to continue on to the back side of the paper or not, things like that. But, you know, from there it was pretty straightforward, just exactly what had to be done. That's neat. Now, if in the game, when you fold over the level itself, behind it you see the previous stage, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, I... It took me a while to notice that, but once I did, it definitely added a lot to the game. Yeah, so at first it's not really supposed to be noticeable. Um, I actually arranged things so that that wouldn't come in until fairly late, because you're just supposed to be getting used to like, the idea of having to fold stuff. Um, I'm not actually sure who came up with that particular idea. Uh, I think it might have been our graphics guy, Solifuge, I'm not sure. Um, but I think that part of that was to keep with the full game on one screen mechanic so that it wouldn't like look like you were going to a different level or a different screen in the video game sense. Um, we wanted that unity between like this stack of paper and the game design. Oh, okay. It kind of almost made it feel like a book, to, uh, at least to me where you're just folding over and you can see the previous pages of places you've already been. Yeah. I, I actually think that they have a, a game like that on Steam right now, where it's like a folded pop-up book kind of thing. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh. It's also Japanese-themed. Um, so maybe take a look at that, too. Oh, cool. neat. Yeah. I'll have to try and find that one. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned Solifuge and Magma McFry. Yeah. These clearly aren't the people's given names. No. I don't think anyone was born with those names. Um, <laughs> and yours is Vector. Are these nicknames or aliases you guys use for your work online or for this competition in particular? Um, they're just online handles. We all came out of the Bay 12 Games Forum. And so, like, Graphics Guy Solifuge has been known as Solifuge since, oh, I don't know, when, 2009 or something? Same with me, I've been Vector since 2009, and I'm not sure when Magma McFry came in, but yeah, they're all oh. just screen names. Interesting. I know myself, I have the Steam name Ramar642, and I've had that, I believe, since I've gotten my first computer when I was 12. Mm -hmm. Nice. I'm not going to admit my own. <laughs> Yours is more of an embarrassing one. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, I've had oh. some, yeah, I've had some really bad ones. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but by having an alias, has that proven to help you guys in the industry, or is it kind of tricky to say, like, oh, yeah, I worked on this project, but, oh, but your name's not on it. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a different name, though. Like, Well, I'm kind of not, like, officially in industry 
yet. Like I've gotten some opportunities through the forums because I've built up a presence there. So that's obviously helpful. Um, nice. I'd say it's helpful to separate my online and offline lives. That's a you know that's a good thing. But I haven't. Like, I originally picked the name Vector because I wanted to pose as a dude in Mafia games back in 2009, and so I thought Vector <laughs> sounds kind of like Victor, and I really like math, so it sounds kind of like masculine, maybe. Um, masculine? Yeah. <laughs> kind of masculine. But since then, you know, there hasn't been, I don't think, much. Uh, much I've noticed of it being any particular utility. Oh, okay. It's always interesting to see what people come up with when they get to choose their own names. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I have a question regarding the game. Now, mm-hmm. I seeing I didn't get to beat it or anything. I got I feel like I got pretty far into it, but at one point I definitely fell down a hole and was stuck. Is there like a reset button? Yeah, press R. <laughs> oh man, God! I was looking Very for it. Thing. I was like, I, I thought I was. I must. Well, I know what the problem was. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think it says on the instructions online. Oh, okay. I will say though, um, in regards to that, I didn't realize that right-clicking on the folds of paper undo them. Mm. So the whole time I was manually dragging them back and forth, back and forth. Oh God, damn it! I actually kind of liked it because it made it seem more real as opposed to instantaneously changing. Yeah. yeah, but that would be handy. Oh, I mean, it's in the game. You can't do that. I just wasn't aware of it. Me neither. I'm going to do that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did beat the game. I was able to finish it uh, last night at 2 in the morning. Right on. But, yeah, I greatly enjoyed it, and I noticed at the end there's uh, blue and gray flames. Yeah. That, like... I suppose, are indicators of the levels. Mm-hmm. Are those levels that you did or didn't die on? or? Yeah, so did you hear maybe also the different ping noise? Like it makes Yeah, it, it was yeah. a different pitch depending on the flame. Yeah, one is kind of depressing and one is like a better sound. Um, so there's a bunch of leaves in the upper left-hand corner, and that's par for the course. So if you get oh. that number of leaves or less, then you get a blue f- flame. And if you just match it, then you get a gray flame. Oh, interesting. Okay. Then I am really bad at your game. Uh... <laughs> I notice a dramatic scale of, like, four blue flames at the beginning, and then the rest were all gray for me. Oh. I had a clearly much difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. It, the pacing was f- fantastic, if you ask me. The way the difficulty increased, it was, it was pretty much perfect. It wasn't too, like... You're not slapped in the face. <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. Um, I was directly responsible for that, so that is really music to my ears. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, pacing-wise, it's really funny, because I've talked to a lot of people about it, and everybody seems to get stuck in a different place. I personally played through and beat every single level of the game. Like, there were... Uh, in order to ma- to to get the difficulty progression, I had to, of course, beat all of the levels. And the first time around, everything was fine. And then I was going through to play through the campaign just to make sure that it kind of felt good at the end. And I found out that all of these puzzles that I'd previously solved just went right out the window. And then I kept <laughs> on, like, um, 
And then I kept on seeing people being like, I'm stuck on level 8, I can't progress, or I'm stuck on level 10 and I can't progress. And it was just interesting to see that um, it, it seems to be, there's not really one gotcha level, it seems like everybody's got somewhere else where they get stuck. Strange phenomenon. Yeah, it's just plenty of options, so it makes sense. Hmm. It's good to have not one level that clearly sticks out that shows that it's almost impossible and that it might have been a little too hard for the game. Yeah, I heard, I think, a lot of... Uh, a few people had trouble with the blank level in particular. I think that one was kind of weird because everything ends up upside down and backwards, but... Uh, oh, yeah, I do remember that. It it definitely took a few tries to figure out. Yeah. But I was curious, what made you guys decide on a fox as your main character in this game as opposed to another animal or a human in general? Um, so... In my case, uh, the reason why it ended up being a fox was just because... Okay, so I thought about having some sort of small origami person running around the levels. And then I thought that that would feel kind of, um, like, depressing. I, I don't know why, it just felt like it would be sort of demotivating. Like, here you are, trapped, on a paper plane... <laughs> folding things, crossing obstacles, <laughs> and I thought that a fox, like an animal felt sort of more um, like a more friendly design and more lively um, and I felt like it was easier to identify them as a creature you were helping because you're both running around as the fox and you're manipulating the level so if you're sort of a person that's manipulating the level, then there's sort of a question of, like, why aren't they going down and pulling on the paper? Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense in the same way. Also, in, um, in a mythological sense, the fox in Japanese culture, as far as my understanding goes, uh, is particularly well-known for transformations and also a certain kind of growth. Like, they get older and they get more special powers and they get more tails and stuff like that. So I thought that a story about like, from a story perspective, when you're trying to get to the end in this case, it makes sense that you have a fox that can transform the levels. But from the Western cultural perspective, it also makes sense that you're helping out this small, helpless animal through this, you know, this paper dungeon. Um, whichever lens you're looking at it, it still kind of functions. Nice. Yeah, I seem to, when it was a fox, I sort of think, like, oh, it's a different strange thing, something I might not fully understand, where if it's a person, I immediately think, like, oh, this is a person in a 2D dimension, you know, 2D world, and they only have forward and back, they have no real other alternative, and it, you're right, it does kind of seem a little sadder when you know it's something with consciousness and uh, sort of awareness beyond itself, but when it's an animal, it's simple, and it could be anything. Yeah, and especially with the limitation to one screen, that just seemed like, I feel like a lot of the other games in that competition were about breaking out of the screen. Um, and I think that makes sense, because if you have a person that's trapped to one screen, that's so sad. Um, but if you have, like, what's obviously a sort of magical fox, then it's kind of okay. Um, that's why I said it was about a paper fox in a paper world, is because, like, the fox goes with the world. It's natural. It's, it's like a safe experience. <laughs> not something dangerous. It seems at all. like it 
it seems like it belongs there. Yeah, exactly. And when he when he escapes the paper dungeon, he finds his paper forest, and everything's happy. Well, yeah, I'll just say that when at the end, when your fox gets to, uh, like, what it gets to is this stone statue of a fox, and then all of the, um, we called them, what was it called? Yeah, Hoshidama. Uh, all of the the star balls um, that you're collecting throughout the levels. Uh, lineup. So it's not that it ever gets out. It just meets like some, I guess, experience with God or similar, and your progress is measured, and then that's it's over. That was the entire point. Oh wow. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get there soon. I'll probably be up till two in the morning myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Uh, you also have a level editor in the game, mm-hmm. and. Does that kind of carry on along with the you know magic of the fox being able to change things around it, or was that just a game, a purely game mechanic of you know being able to build your own levels and do what you want with the game? Okay, so in the last couple of games, um, I had to do scripting, and I like <laughs> I just like wanted to cry. I hate scripting. So <laughs> the new demand is that you've got to have like a graphical level editor. <laughs> um, so that was basically where that just came from. We had a level editor. We said, okay, it would be nice if it would be really nice if people could share their levels and experience what it's like to design these things, and maybe they'll come up with ideas that we never came up with. Um, so we just wanted to, you know, involve the community in the story, however they wanted to take um, to take part. Oh, okay. Did you find that? on certain levels that there's multiple ways of solving a level in particular. I'm not sure if that's the case for any of your uh, puzzles, but I know in games like Portal, for instance, like there's multiple ways you can get to the to the end result. I think in one of the levels, I did some really ass-backwards way of getting to the end, but I'm not sure. Yeah, there's a few levels where you can do that. Um, for every level, I made a lot of effort to try to make it feel like there was a natural way of proceeding. Like, we we made, I'm not sure how many levels, it might have been, I think something like 25, and then only 15 actually made it into the, into the full game. Um, so, I think that there's sort of like, sometimes there's really clever and tricky ways that you can, uh, that you can progress. Um, <laughs> And that was that was definitely a feature, not a bug. Definitely. <laughs> have you been sent any of the fan-made levels, or have you seen anyone play through a custom-made level and thought, like, oh, we should have done that, or, oh, that's an interesting way to do things? Honestly, I have not... I did not have that experience. I mean, I think that there were a couple sent in, but... Honest to God, I was so burnt out after spending, like, ten hours straight... <laughs> playing this thing that <laughs> I forgot to look at them after the competition and there was like only one so um yeah not not much <laughs> in that department no worries <laughs> I, Im- I would imagine it'd be like a surgeon doing a 24 hour heart transplant and then when he gets home he's like hey you want to play a game of operation real quick yeah. like no get it away from yeah, me yeah exactly I was I was just like, you know, I'm sure that this is great, <laughs> but 
I just can't. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there certain puzzle games that like you've played in the past that may have like been an influence or not necessarily? Oh yeah. Okay. Um. So, mostly when <sighs> I play a lot of stuff from a lot of different genres. Uh, mostly in this case for puzzle games. Um, so what I usually like is stuff like Fez or La Mulana. Um, nice. Yeah. So I played a lot of games where I got a sense of what I didn't want to do, like the bridge, um, where you move around slowly, and in my case, I usually had no idea what was happening, and everything I tried just made me more frustrated, and it was super slow. <laughs> so... <laughs> My motto is die quickly, <laughs> restart quickly, <laughs> and, <laughs> and just get it done. Um, so, in terms of just like, so there was a lot of there was a lot of puzzle games that I played where a lot of where the inspiration was to cut down on frustration. And in terms of just puzzle design in general, I would really say that it was. Just stuff like, yeah, it's just stuff like La Mulana, stuff like Fez, where it's like, you have, you usually have an idea of here's A and there's B. You always know what, what things you have to have on the table. Um, you know what all your components are, you know where the start is, you know where the end is, you know what all your tools are. There's no upgrades in tools. There's no trying the ham on the anchor until you can get into the secret pirate shape, uh, secret pirate ship, a la adventure games. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wanted to make it as simple as possible. And actually, I think probably the main inspiration for puzzle design came from my math degree. Uh, I always wanted to, desi to design a puzzle game that felt like doing mathematics felt to me. Like, you know, just again, you know exactly what's on the table. You just haven't figured out that little club or something yet. And when you get to the end, it is going to feel so good and so natural. It, You know, like, I feel like a puzzle, when you finished it, should feel like you did the natural, obvious thing to do, but which was non-obvious at the beginning when you were just starting to think about it. Definitely. Oh, I love that uh, you share a love for mathematics. And I, I have a minor in math, and it's just, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's really a satisfying thing. It is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, speaking of puzzle games and stuff, did you ever get a chance to play the game Monument Valley? Because when you were describing those games, like I, I think yeah, that would be right up your alley. Really? No, I never heard of it. That oh my gosh, great. it's it's really it's really phenomenal. Um, I think it's for uh, Android and and iOS, so it's like a mobile game. But it a Monument Valley, please check this out. I think you're gonna fall in love. Yeah, I'm literally getting out a pencil so I can write it down right now. Fantastic. <laughs> and for the mathematicians out there, I would also recommend Number Muncher. Oh. It is a great shout. <laughs> I'm kidding. I played uh, so much of that. Oh, what was the other one? There was one with, like, an astronaut in space. Number Blaster or something. Ooh, I don't know that one. But I do recall Number Munchers, and I always set it to the prime numbers, because that was easiest. <laughs> <laughs> I did 
super muncher. My class had all of this, um, we had some hardcore rivalry going on, mostly based oh. around, like, knowledge and skill-based computer games. <laughs> and so, um, after you finished all your homework, you just spent hours and hours playing super muncher, doing speed runs and speed trials, and, like, you'd get a little crowd around you, and it was really nice. That's a good memory. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting take for a game like that, because... Speed run is speed runs are normally just trial and error, and you get down the quickest way and the quickest formula and like the quickest walkthrough. Whereas a game with like Number Muncher, it would actually just be intelligence of how smart you can uh, figure out and solve problems. Yeah, I think that was like, why we liked it because you know, like you could just sit at the computer and play, and at the end you could say, "Huh, I'm better at math than you." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you had discernible skills you can rub in the face of other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm curious with uh, playthroughs and such. I've looked it up, and there are a handful of playthroughs on YouTube yeah. uh, for Oranami Origami. Mm-hmm. Do you guys watch people play them, and do you see it as a good thing or a bad thing that anybody can just take video on criticize your game or praise your game or oh my god their voice can ha- it's great <laughs> it's, it's it's free testing and they tell you exactly what they think of it and you see exactly where they gave up you see how long they persevered on a particular puzzle you see what was you know what was easy for them what was hard if they started cussing out like you know it's just honestly it's amazing feedback and i appreciate it so much and I, I think the u- the thing that people usually say is, like, is this competition for your game? Like, is the is this video recording somehow making your game less, val- uh, less valuable? And from my point of view, um, there's, there's a difference between a game and a movie, namely that you control it. And if your game... If your game watching it is exactly the same thing as, like, using a controller and actually playing it, then that doesn't seem like it's much of a... Well, I wouldn't say that it's not much of a game. That's kind of insulting. But it doesn't seem like you're harnessing the power of the medium that much. So. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Interesting. Like, I know that they call Metal Gear Solid Movie Gear Solid. And... (laughs) I don't, I don't actually have any consoles, and I went and watched the Chip and Ironicus playthrough of it back in I think 2010 or something, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. I hadn't played any of the previous games, and after watching this, I just wanted to play it more. Like, I just thought, wow, look at all those things you can do, and you know, you can get to be this cool old guy snake, and you know, you're. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your computer boyfriend is super fun <laughs> and you know like I was just like wow I have got to play this game and so I went and I picked up Metal Gear Solid 1 from the library and Metal Gear Solid 2 and I suck at stealth games but I just like kept on playing it because I was so stoked just from watching this LP and thinking you know this is amazing so I think that if even something as cutscene heavy as Metal Gear can survive that test, like, what do I have to worry about? <laughs> I've never heard anyone ever call Otacon the computer boyfriend. Oh, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> 
in regards to Metal Gear Solid 4, that is the perfect description for him. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not sure if Move Gear Solid is a compliment to the game, as in it's so good it looks like a movie, or an insult as in the cutscenes are so long it feels like a movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a mix of both, actually. Because yeah. I, I think the last cutscene is almost an hour long. Like, it's a long... Because I remember I was about to beat it, and I was just like, oh boy, now I can finish the game and then go to the bathroom that I've been holding in for two hours. <laughs> and then that cutscene happened, and I was in trouble. Yeah, see, I watched that, but I kind of regretted it. <laughs> like, that was the only part of the, of the whole thing where I was like, I really wish that I had not gotten involved with this. <laughs> but the thing was that the first game that I ever played that had a lot of really big cutscenes was Final Fantasy VIII. And I remember beating it. I was in, I think, 7th or 8th grade. And I had just been marathoning this sucker. Like, the final boss took me literally like two hours straight playing it through. Oh. Just to, just to get start to end and finish it off. Um, Damn. Yeah, I don't... I think I didn't grind a lot, so I was, like, at level, some kind of low level, and I didn't have a lot of equipment, and I was not being oh, smart about to. it. And I got to the end, and there was this, like, a half-hour cutscene, and I was so, like, I actually felt rewarded. This was back when people actually felt rewarded by cutscenes. <laughs> I, like, I watched this thing, and I just, like, cried and cried and cried, and I was super... You know, like, I was super moved, and I went into the front room and told my mom, and I was like, oh my god, I finished, and it was so sad. So, you know, I just think that people have gotten kind of jaded <laughs> about about their movies, and <laughs> they may be overused, but, you know. I know when I start a new game, and I see a cutscene play, and I just start mashing all the controls and all the keys and I don't see the skip button pop up anywhere. A little part of me just goes, oh no. Because especially, especially if it's a game I want to replay, if I can't uh, skip the cutscenes, I'm most likely not going to be able to replay it because I don't want to sit through all the story I already know about. Oh wow. Honestly, I don't feel that way about cutscenes. Like, I played through FF9 I'm not sure how many times. It must have been four. Um, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that game is f so good. That's a very special game to us in particular. Uh, yeah, seriously. It's my favorite. Um, oh, good. See, already, you're like you're totally winning right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing is that I feel that way about like unskippable cutscenes. I usually feel that way about the part where you wake up in the village and your mom's there and your dad's gone and uh, you have to name your character and you have. You do, like, six damage around. Um, <laughs> the tutorials. The tutorials. <laughs> not, like, you know, FF12, where it's like, hold your stick forward and then prepare to die. <laughs> it just feels sad. Yeah, they, you know? They should have skippable tutorials for, you know, people who've already beaten the game for the New Game Plus settings. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Because I, 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 in particular, since you brought up FF9, I, it's one of my favorites, and it's definitely, I believe, the first Final Fantasy I played, but I have the hardest time with that game. I love it, but it is so difficult at points, and I get so infuriated, particularly, I think, the last time I played, you go to this temple 
where all the monsters are resistant to melee damage. Mm. And the whole team goes in, story happens, you run out, and you'll find out one of your guys was left in behind. Because he got cocky and he ran off on his own. Aramont Red, I think his name was. Oh, yeah. That guy, yeah. Uh-huh. A- Amaranth. Yeah, Amaranth. And so, because he went in, or because he was left in there by himself, the main character, Zane, goes, Oh, I'll go in by myself and save him. And Zidane has only melee attacks. So every monster is resistant to him. And if I get into one battle, I immediately have to restart because there's no way I'll win. See, okay, this is what is actually going on. And I know because I had that awful Final <laughs> Fantasy Prima official guide. That thing is useless. It's literally like in the side, on the side of every page. It's like, oh, visit this website to get more information or to access this information. And that website existed for like one year when the game came out and has been dead ever since. Oh. So it literally renders the entire Prima official strategy guide, like not entirely useless, but like there's so much more information that you want out of it that you can't even get but that being said um struck a that, nerve here yeah it, you really did i'm such a freak <laughs> about final fantasy 9 but um what's going on in that temple is i'm pretty sure that you have to equip like your lowest of the 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 weapon with the lowest attack damage does the most attack damage to those creatures so let's say like i don't even know if you just happen to hold on to like your low like a dagger or something from the beginning of the game if you equip that it's gonna do massive damage to them yeah not just that um, they also have chests with the lowest level weapon in all of them. That's yeah. right. Oh, that's why. I went and I was like, what, what, what is this piece of shit? Why are they... <laughs> I want my treasure. <laughs> but it's actually... Exactly, but it's useful in where you are. Yeah. Okay, because I remember beating it as a kid, and I was like, I am ten years older. I assume <laughs> ten years smarter, but I cannot finish this game, and it just drove me nuts. Dude, that's crazy. You beat it as a kid. I played it as a kid, got to disc four, took like a four year break and then came back to it and finally beat it. And or like, and I started all over again and it was just, it felt so refreshing when I finally beat it. I definitely was like bursting into tears, mainly because the first time I beat it, I lost electricity and I, the, the final cutscene was like, I was waiting my whole life to see it. And then the power goes out. As soon as I beat that final boss, he took so long and there's so many times where like, and then I, like, I was like, I took at least like a month off before coming back to it. And then when I try facing him again, I just couldn't beat him. And it was like, are you kidding me? I've already beaten this guy, but he could like literally one shot you or do some like kind of bullshit where like he'll like cast death on all your party members and it's just like god damn, like, <laughs> i don't even know oh yeah that final boss was such bullshit um yeah yeah for me so ff9 came after i was kind of like for me after i was kind of like i was an old hand i was like i don't i don't care what you do i can figure this out but for me it was ff7 that really like honestly <laughs> That game's a little bit unbalanced, <laughs> just to say that. And <laughs> I think that's fair uh, to say. It whipped me. I've never, I've never had so much trouble with any other RPG. I got to Sephiroth, think... and he just threw planets at my characters, and Vincent turned into <laughs> a little monster-shaped stain on the floor, and. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where I have a little difficulty with because I played FF Seven. When it was released for the PC, I played it in hindsight after everyone talked about it so much. Mm. So when I played it, I already kind of knew what was happening in the story and kind of the strategy of how to beat it. So it was a little unfair in my playthrough. Yeah. I had it on PC too, but all of the friends that I had were into um, 
<laughs> they were into lying about whether or not you can find Mew on the SSN, and not so much into <laughs> <laughs> lying about resurrecting oh, certain people yet. So I came in pretty pretty clean on that game. <laughs> Pokemon, however, spoiled forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want a fresh take on Pokemon, there's a demo out for a game called Pokemon Sage, mm. which people online are developing. Oh. And I I was a little sick of Pokemon with a few last generations, but when I played this one, it felt very refreshing and still had the same old Pokemon we know and love, but with new Pokemon that didn't look or weren't literally piles of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Those, I don't know, those new character designs are kind of ass. Just going to say that. I, to be fair, though, Magnemite and Magneton and Diglett and Dotrio aren't amazing designs either. <laughs> Just by smushing them together. That's true. Um, the, my main issue with it is that they used to have a really uh, unique silhouette for all of the characters, um, which is apparently kind of the essence of a good and memorable design, something I'm learning about. And for the new ones, not so much. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, of course they did, they did have that old thing with the old Pokemon show where... Like you were supposed to identify Pokemon, and like, was it a the wrong side of a Jigglypuff or a Voltorb? <laughs> like there was that that one confusion, but otherwise they were pretty easy to distinguish. Yeah, who's that Pokemon? Yeah. <laughs> I I never thought of that before, but I completely agree because with the new game you'll be playing and see them evolving, and it's it's a white it's a whiteout silhouette, but it's still the silhouette nonetheless. And with some of the new Pokemon, it's just like just sharp objects and just jagged limbs and everything. Like I couldn't tell you what it was mm. until it evolved, and I saw. I was like, "Oh, I I guess that's kind of what it is." But, but with the early games, I could identify every single like. Give me a foot of the first one hundred fifty. <laughs> I could figure out who it is just by the foot. Yeah, I used to literally. Um, speaking of stupid competitions you do with your friends, we used to <laughs> like identify them based on their cry in like from an old really shitty Game Boy. Um yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like you would just identify That's that, gotta be yeah. hard. <laughs> I I never had You could uh, you could distinguish them. It was I don't know, they did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I never had that opportunity because a friend of mine was obsessive and oh, it's Mark actually. We had him on the show. <laughs> he could give you the stats of the base level of those Pokemon. He memorized the entire, like, Pokedex. He's a walking Pokedex? You oh, we, we never had a chance against him. He knew everything. Like, That's the absurd. Okay. And I was just like, yeah, I like I like Dragonite because he's big and goofy. He's like, oh, Dragonite's base attack is 96, and special defense is... I was like, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I, I did not get that far into it. <laughs> I don't I don't think anyone did. I think like they used to sell Pokédexes and that was like the best bet. Uh, they sold everything. In hindsight, Pokémon was made just to sell merchandise. Oh, sure. And it's it like succeeded. that like That's that South Park episode, Jim Pokémon. Oh, yeah. They just give us your money or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still going after what? F- uh 20 some years. That's what I mean. I gave up after the first 150. That's what I was going to say earlier. Um, I just, yeah. You're a purist? I guess it's that where I just grew out of it and never continued to care. I mean, yeah, I still like the games, but 
I just, yeah, any new Pokemon are completely confusing to me. Honestly, me too. I got really upset when they swapped out Brock for Jesse. Um, oh, yeah, uh, I wasn't okay with that. <laughs> but he was an artist. He could draw them. Or Tracy. Sorry. Tracy. Tracy, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Brock was cool. Anyway. Yeah, he yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always wondered what happened, because Ash had two gym leaders following him around all over the world. Like, what was happening at the gyms? <laughs> right. Because Misty's sisters were just throwing badges at people. What did Brock's dad do? Did he actually fight? That's Maybe he question. just left again. <laughs> <laughs> the absentee father and gym leader. Yeah. Well. Well, no. When you would when you would uh, walk around in the Pokemon games, I'm pretty sure you could go to a gym and it'd be like it's closed. And I was like, God damn it. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then you would have to go find the gym leader and drag them <laughs> by the collar, <laughs> say do your job. Yeah, just get on your Articuno and just be like, fly back. <laughs> I always wondered with that, like, towards the end, if you go to fight the last gym leader, he's like, go Rhydon, and then you go, like, go, you know, Zapdos, and you go, like, oh, fuck, like, it's a, you know, why aren't people freaking out that you have one of the legendary Pokemon? True, yeah. Oh, Zapdos was such a bitch, man. Oh my <laughs> god. You are just striking nerves with me tonight on games I forgot about. <laughs> this is video uh. game therapy for Doug. <laughs> repressed memories oh man uh, but um sorry we got so sidetracked with pokemon <laughs> childhood games that happens on our show you know <laughs> <laughs> it's cool so i'm curious you were saying with some of the let's play that people would start cursing and start freaking out in frustration how i'm curious how that's possible with a game that's so beautiful and well does like it's just so visually appealing and it's just calming to me, the patterns that are on each level. So they didn't, like, so that was, like, a case-in-point example. Like, you know, if somebody started started cursing, that would be of interest. Um, I didn't actually oh, okay. see anybody, like, really rage quit. There were some, in the LPs that I saw, it was just, like, after 15 minutes, like, or 15, 20 minutes, well, I guess I'm just not not going to get this level. So, you know, I mean, and that's feedback, too. Um, it was good to see, well, it was sad to see people let go because we didn't have a save option. But <laughs> it was good to see that they weren't, they weren't getting super frustrated. And honestly, this, is, this isn't exactly related to LPs, but my favorite press that I got, that we got by far was there were a bunch of people I think in in the French um, in the French gaming press who would write articles and stuff like that and they would say after you finish this game the only thing you can do is go and get some sheets of origami paper and fold some yourself and some of them would put up pictures and I thought that was just the most gratifying thing in the universe that we could manage to make a game that sort of so thoroughly exhausted itself that the only thing you could the only recourse you had would be to go and engage with the with the material it brought up in a real world way huh that's interesting i would love to see that catch on after people finish the game that just 
folding little paper foxes all day. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely be better than Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> After you finish the game, you go out and steal cars. <laughs> yeah. The only time a game inspired me to do origami is when I bought the collector's edition of Heavy Rain, and it came with like a little origami thing because of the origami killer. <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired to do origami based off a serial killer that murders yes. children. Yeah, and oh, I have the origami on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, like a crane or something? Yeah, some kind of bird, I believe. I don't know exactly. I think it was a crane, but because of the uh, paper they printed it on, it was kind of like almost laminated-esque, like the way all oh. uh, game manuals used to come. Yes. So it didn't keep the crease very well, so it would quickly unfold itself. That is such a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you gotta get the... If you're gonna do origami, you've gotta get something that's lightweight and has a good grain. Now, it's good that you brought that up, Doug. Speaking of Heavy Rain and uh, Metal Gear Solid, with these... Uh, Heavy Rain in particular, and um, some of the Telltale games that don't have real any real action or any real special gameplay other than just quick time events and you know searching around areas. Um, how do you feel about these games that people are calling movie like interactive movies, where you know after a few minutes you do something and then you just watch the cutscenes for however long? So that is a really really good question. Um. I think most of most of what I've heard in that direction is the question of, like, is this a game or is it not a game, right? A game is usually defined as something where you can have separate outcomes. Okay, but what if the point is that there's some kind of inevitable process that you're going through or whatever? Um, I think that... Jeez, this is so hard because I spent so much time with choose-your-own-adventure books as a kid. And <laughs> those felt kind of like a game to me. And I've played plenty of visual novels and stuff like that, too. Um, part of the problem is that it's so loaded. Like, you know, there's this... I think there's sort of this vibe. Game is good, walking simulator bad. But if it was with the Oculus Rift, would you, you know, would you be that ticked off about it being a, a walking simulator? And then I also think, how much of Mist is really a walking simulator? Like, there's so many, there's so many like mainstream AAA games where you've got the backtracking problem, and most of what you're doing is walking anyway. So, so complaining because there's so much walking in one game. And there's so much walking in mainstream games in general. I don't know. Um, I have not actually played Heavy Rain at any point. I think that it's interesting that we were talking about Metal Gear Solid in particular because the Metal Gear Solid series is famous for forced choices. It's famous for making you do things in gameplay that you don't want to do, like in Spec, Op the, Spec Ops The Line or whatever where the only option is to not play anymore and to refuse to engage. You know, there's a certain quick time event in Metal Gear Solid 3, which I will not spoil, but... <laughs> or is anybody... Are you guys familiar with that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I've played the game. I'm trying to think of exactly the moment you're speaking uh, of. Tre press triangle to shoot the boss in the head. Oh, yeah. 
and there's no oh, other yeah. option. And so I think I think there's a lot of dialogue about player agency in games in general. Um and what is sometimes missed is that taking away agency and inducing frustration or boredom or something like that can also be part of whatever you're doing. Um, like if what if you're looking at if you're looking at uh, literature and books, for example, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, like look at the. Um, Andy Warhol's like 18-hour movie of the Emperor, the of the Empire State Building, um, or all kinds of all kinds of things like that. Um, I just feel like there's a statement like games have to be fun. A game is good if that game is fun, and I personally like fun games, but I also have noticed lots of times where sometimes the tedium of whatever I was doing actually added to the experience and I felt like I had I had gained something even from that negative interactivity. Hmm. That's interesting. Because, uh, like you said, the agency of the game um, by making the player do something and having no other options it reminded me of some of the Telltale games where you have maybe a limited amount of options maybe just two, maybe three. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, all your choices have a time limit to them. So even if you're just having a conversation with someone and you have to choose what dialogue you want to go down, you have maybe about 10 seconds, sometimes three seconds to immediately choose. And it kind of forces you while still giving you multiple options. So with one game in particular, two people were fighting. I won't spoil it, but, um, I won't say who it is. But two of them were fighting, and it seemed like they were going to try and kill each other. And you're standing back holding a gun, and you have to decide who you shoot, if you shoot anybody, what to do. And it gives you maybe three seconds at most to de- to decide at this quick time event. Whoa. And I immediately chose one person and regretted it. And then I thought about it, and I thought, that's probably a losing battle. There's probably no right choice. But because it puts that time limit on you it really makes you panic and really puts you in that character's shoes. Oh my as, gosh. As opposed to something like Mass Effect where you could pause the game. Think about what, it. Yeah, think about what you want to do. Maybe even look up a walkthrough if you want to cheat a bit. But <laughs> yeah, it, figure out what path you're going down yeah, or whatever. But in some of the Telltale games, you can't pause it during those uh, well, cutscene moments and yeah. you have to choose. This whole thing is reminding me of when I got my mom to play Heavy Rain, and this isn't a spoiler anyway, but this is hilarious, because the one moment there was this one dude, uh, and, like, I don't even know what happened, but, like, she had a gun to the guy's head, and it just instantly just blew him away. And I was like, Mom, like, why did you do that? And she's like, I didn't know! (laughs) So, it's just like, yeah, when you're in those situations, and it's like a time limit, or you just feel pressured, yeah, that's what the end result was, and it was hilarious, but, oh, man. I made a lot of decisions I regretted a lot in Mass Effect. I did not know that you could pause. And <laughs> I'm the kind of person who's always like, I wonder what will happen if I do this. And so I had all of these renegade interrupts, and I was like, oh my god, I just shot him in the head and threw him off the building. <laughs> it's cool, right? Well, yeah, I- it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing with Mass Effect when they started showing up those Paragon and Renegade actions like in the cutscenes. 
all you see is the little symbol saying, like, hey, you can interact with this. But it doesn't give you any real context of what the action will be. Because even if you pay attention to the dialogue, you're having a casual conversation with a reporter that uh, slandered you in the last game. And she's like, hey, Commander Shepard, can I get another interview? And you see the renegade, and it's like, oh, I'll, you know, put my hand up and say, no, you, you slandered me, back away and be rude. I hit the button. The renegade action is to clock the reporter in the face. And I am i won't lie when I said it felt amazing. But, but it's just so out of context and difficult when it's just a quick notification and you have no real idea what the character might do. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Mass Effect is easily one of my favorite uh, franchises and games overall, though. I liked it a lot, too. Um... It was the first cover-based shooter that I'd actually ever played, so even Mass Effect 2 was very refreshing for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of people that hated it because they were looking for a big Call of Duty-esque combat style with a rich story, where it's definitely more story-based than it is combat. Oh, no, I loved it. Um, my character was a sniper, and I don't... I'm not the most efficient player. Um, <laughs> so what I did was I was like, my goal is to get the largest gun that I possibly can. <laughs> and nice. So I had like the Widow X84 or whatever it is, and it was oh, very nice. quite a bit taller than my character. <laughs> um, and so I would like I would be in close ranges sniping. See, terrible idea. Like I said, not efficient. I don't switch weapons. <laughs> I just use the sniper rifle. <laughs> Um, that is a challenging feat, especially in that game. It really worked badly for Mass Effect 1. For Mass Effect 2, I had Garrus and Jack. Oh, there you go. And so Garrus also sniped. Jack stopped people. And then I also had like a... Oh, no, no, no. So I had an assault rifle and the sniper. So the assault rifle had ice stuff. So I froze them. And then I picked them off. And it worked pretty well. That's the thing. With Mass Effect 2, they enabled you to use every type of weapon. You would just be better with some than others. Whereas in Mass Effect 1, if you weren't trained for that weapon, you couldn't use it. And it really limited you to what you could and couldn't do and really made you question your class choice. Yeah, and their uh, their inventory system made me cry. So. Oh, in the first that. one, it was <laughs> yeah. terrible. But that's one of the games where I say the second one, the sequel fixed everything in the first one and improved it. You know, granted, it had its own flaws, but it fixed the big ones from the first game. Nice. Yeah. Even, th honestly, despite the, uh, despite the controversy regarding 3, I really liked it. I've, I've said it on the podcast before. I enjoyed the ending. I am in the minority. Me too. I felt like it was, um... Honestly... Like the ending, ending, ending. I was just kind of like, eh, because I already knew that. I already knew it was going to happen. I'd already, like, I had plans. Um, but I found the final gauntlet really emotionally moving. I thought they did a great job with it, and I also, um, <laughs> I also took as my option to shoot the kid in the head. <laughs> and, <laughs> That was like the first time. It was just a I wonder what will happen thing, and it was kind of terrifying, and I thought they did a good job with that too. Um, <laughs> like having an actual consequence for. For what you've done. For, 
for pew pewing god yeah <laughs> mass effect 3 was the first rpg what i did is i played through the whole franchise three times all three games oh wow so i've invested probably around 400 hours into the whole franchise holy shit yeah oh my god. I, I had a lot of free time during the summer i didn't go outside the sun hurt me so i was <laughs> but um so my initial playthrough would just be whatever action i thought I should take, like, as myself, what I would take. And then the next one was just strictly Renegade, and the next one was just strictly Paragon. And it it was the, f- the first playthrough I did was the first time I've ever come across an RPG where I made my choice, saw the consequences, immediately regretted it, and then restarted the game so I wouldn't be able to make that choice. Usually I would just sit with the consequence and deal with it. But in the third one, it involved a certain character, and I just, I couldn't have that as the result for that game, for that playthrough. And it was the first time I ever started mid-game. Wow. Yeah, it was emotionally exhausting, but it is one of my favorite games, by far. Nice. Even if my Commander Shepard looks like Moby. (laughs) (laughs) Well... What do you guys think? Um, do you think we should wrap this up, Bren? Uh, I think we could. Do you think we have time for I Was the Walrus? Or? Um, that's really up to um, L. Yeah, I mean, I've got time. I'm good. Okay. Because I've already gotten the categories planned out, so we won't take oh, 40 nice. minutes figuring Oh my out. god, thank you, Bren, because I was like thinking to myself, oh god, we'll be here another hour. But <laughs> <laughs> wow. this should be a lot better, though. Alright, yeah, I'm down to play. That's right. <laughs> um, the game is essentially uh, existential rock, paper, scissors of just, uh, I give you guys a category, you come up with your own answer to it, and then we determine which one's the better answer, which one beats the other one. Oh, freeform apples to apples. Cool. Exactly. Wow, that's a perfect way to describe it from now on. <laughs> yeah, initially it was who, which character would beat this character. And then we were just like, ah, screw it. Just whatever you want beats whatever you want. Hmm. Yep. So, I figure for the first category, we'll go with the uh, Lundum Dare? I already forget how to say it. Ludum Dare. Ludum Dare. Or Uh Ludum Dare. Whichever one you prefer. Yeah. Huh. I looked up, and it said for their next uh, competition for their next game, the central idea is going to be an unconventional weapon. Mm-hmm. So I figured the best sort, the best way to create something is steal from someone else. So that's our category. <laughs> well, uh, the, what would well, we make a game about an unconventional weapon, or just what unconventional weapon in a, general? An unconventional weapon. Oh, you know what I wish I could say? Um, Rocky Power sweatpants. Cuisinart. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's good. a that's <laughs> no. But... <laughs> 
Larry it reminds Corona. me of uh, Kirby 64. There was that one where you could turn into like a um, Swiss Army knife. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, sp- the <laughs> That's double spike power. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm actually looking at a copy of Kirby 64 right now. <laughs> I love that game. I think if you got ice and electric, you turned into a fridge and you shot food at people. Yeah. That game was great. Heal yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so unconventional weapons, huh? Yep. Yeah. And then we'll hmm. count down uh, from three, and then you'll both say them at the same time, and we'll, I'll try to figure out which one would be best. Oh, I still need a minute. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I knew when I thought this category up, I couldn't be the judge, because I already had an idea. God, it, it I'm would be struggling. A, it would What's be a yours? cannon that shoots... Uh, Razor blades and tiny bits of paper, and then sprays lemon juice on top of it. So you wow. have a bunch of paper cuts. Okay, you would have won that guy. This is why <laughs> he's the winner of this game. <laughs> oh man, now the bar has been set high. Uh, <laughs> this is why we try not to think of categories ahead of time, because you can have days, and then the other person's caught off guard. Uh, okay, I've got one. Okay. Okay, I I um let me just. Google what it's called, so I don't like say the wrong thing. But I I have one, so one second. I really hope you just say gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me just make sure this is a real thing. Okay, um, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with it. It's really bizarre. Cool. Okay, unconventional weapon. Three, two, one, go. An endless pool of lava. Memories. Memories. Yeah. Ooh. Psychological Ooh. warfare game. Wow. Ooh. That one is deep. Yeah, I'm, it's going to be <laughs> a quick just, decision. Yeah, yeah that's an insta win. That yeah. is really, wow. God. is it? I can't imagine it having a memory so bad that it just kills you, though. <laughs> yeah, do you but... not remember middle school? I can. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have to uh, kill you, just incapacitate, right? Yeah, yeah true. Uh, is it like a memory gun where you can like aim at a people or is it just like you just trigger it and it gets everybody so one of the ideas i had for an old thing i was going to do was um something that was like an rpg okay so do you remember the whole monkey island insult fencing thing oh yeah Uh, anybody yeah so you can do something like that but it was going to be like a turn-based rpg where you use like psychological tactics <laughs> against whoever it is. <laughs> oh man. And each character has a particular like you know, okay, so let's say somebody is manipulative or another character is ruthless or another one is um like accommodating and nice. And then so each of them has like different strategies under that under that head, and then you have to figure out how to respond to whatever the other person's saying. Interesting. Have you ever played Psychonauts? Um, I played a little bit of it. Very little. It's essentially, you play as a telepath, and it had an interesting way of, you would throw a tiny uh, doorway on people's heads and jump mm. into their minds, and each level would be playing through someone's mind, and it would sometimes it would just be a bunch of crab flying around and just play a stage and then sometimes it would involve the story and some of their memories and childhoods and their fears and such and it was really interesting the, it, uh, the way the story played out but 
that's immediately what I thought of when you described that. If you want to take it into like an actiony sort of Michael Bay video game, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I always thought that the um there was this one episode of Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid that I think somehow turned into a formative experience. Um, huh. They're they're schlepping around in Yugi's head, and there's like, it's embodied as a physical space. There's uh there's Yami's area, and then there's Yugi's area, and like Yugi's area is like full of like toys and stuff like that, and it's like this totally ridiculous toy room. It's like you would never actually see any place like that in real life. It was like this fantastic psychological landscape, and then Yami's part of the brain was um. It was off, like, all dark and Egyptian corridors and things. And ever since then, I've been really into the whole, like, embodied psychology sort of aspect of stuff. So, psychonauts, um, there's, like, a, there's, like, a palace of memories in FF9, and that one episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> all straight up my alley. I, nice. I don't think many people can say they were that heavily influenced by Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> I was at my cousin's house, and I didn't get to watch cartoons at home, and I just was sitting there, and I was like, this is so cool. And then I went home, and I like wrote all this fan fiction-y stuff. So, there you go. Oh, I understand. I watched the whole series. I still have a Yu-Gi-Oh! deck sitting right next to me. Aw. I loved the game. It was good. It was fun. We had a weird resurgence in high school where we started playing it again. Oh, awesome. So popular with the ladies. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. Uh, right, we're playing a game. Uh, next category. Oh, yeah. Um, what, in line with Oranami Origami, um, what would be sort of your spirit animal or uh, animal you would wish, and what is it made of? Like the fox is made of paper. Oh. Okay. Oh, I didn't have one for this, but I just thought of one. A turtle with a cheesecake shell, like, made of cheesecake. So it would just <laughs> swim up good. to me in the pool and I would just eat cheesecake. Oh. Huh. If we can advance genetic splicing to any point in time, I want that. Cheesecake turtle, huh? Oh, sounds amazing. Is there any reason why the cheesecake has to be turtle-shaped? Is it, like, also turtle-flavored? Well, it's a, it's a living turtle, and its shell is a cheesecake. And so when, I eat just... it, when I eat it, it just regrows the cheesecake later. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. This is tough as well. I think I have something as a backup plan, but uh, <laughs> I could probably do with something better. I've got something. All right, we'll just go with well, it, because no, you're like, probably going to beat me. We can wait. <laughs> We'll give you a few more minutes. Um, because this is your last chance, Doug. If she, I know, she wins this, she's gonna just shut me out. I, <laughs> I can already feel it. And unlike you, I don't let the guest win. She just is that good. I know it's true. Oh. She's she's got some good answers. All right, I'll let, I'm just gonna go with it. I'm not confident, but we're gonna go with it. Oh come on, Doug! You can think of anything like a panda made of confetti. It's that easy. That is pretty damn good. Oh, really? Couldn't even think of that. No, you'll see what mine is, and it's nothing that exciting. But I, I have a reason why. Okay. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. 
A dolphin made of metal. Hmm. I have a hedgehog made of yellow. Made of yellow? Yeah. Ooh. And the reason this dolphin is made of metal is because it's also capable of flying. So I get the best of both worlds. I can swim and fly around. I think that we should give him the point. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a sympathy point? No. I love that kind of thing. (laughs) I feel like a dolphin made of metal, though, would just sink, wouldn't it? No, it's like, it's what, do submarines sink? I don't know. Yeah, dude, it's got, like, propellers and shit. Come on. Yeah, it's literally. Okay. I'm curious of what a hedgehog (laughs) made made of of yellow. yellow. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So just the first thing that popped into your head? Yeah. I like it. It is. I just think of, like, Sonic when he gets all the Chaos Emeralds and just goes Super Saiyan. Oh, God. (laughs) Nice, yeah. Oh, my God. You cannot tell me that wasn't influenced by Dragon Ball Z. He is straight up Super Saiyan. He literally stole, yeah, they stole that one. Okay, Sadly, yeah. that's like my favorite intellectual property. Not Sonic, DBZ. So, oh. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is amazing. <laughs> we didn't we'll get to the back. martial arts novel, but that was like 100% made of DBZ and middle school crushes. So, <laughs> there you go. We'll have to have you back on when we have our DBZ episode, which I'm sure we probably will at some point. Yes. Oh, we should. We really should. And we will definitely have you back on. Awesome. Thank Cause you. Because I still get shit from my friends for my favorite character being PyCon, who I think was in four episodes, oh, maybe. PyCon's the who's shit, Pycon? though. PyCon was when... Uh, was He it, looked like a Namek, but he wasn't. It was when Goku was in the... Um, well, it's not the un- Underworld, but after he died, they had... Uh, tournament with all the kais that's right all the kais would train fighters after they died and then they had a tournament for all the fighters and i believe the winner either got a wish or came back to life somehow or it got trained by king kai or or um the 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 main kai whatever his like the grand yeah something like that yeah and it was goku of course went to the final (laughs) match and it was against a character called pycon who was yeah he was basically, he was just all green, had a large green bean-shaped head, and he said, he says to Goku, oh, I wear weighted armor. He's like, oh, buddy, my Piccolo wears that. And Piccolo's armor is like 50 pounds or something, so it's it's not too insane. And then Pycon takes off his uh, weighted armor, and it's like two tons. Like, it just cracks the ground when he drops it. That's insane. And he shot out like fire and lightning from his hands. He was very small character, and in, in only for a fight. But he was one of my favorites. Yeah, and his personality was pretty good. It wasn't like he was the someone you wanted Goku to be. It was like someone you're kind of also rooting for in a weird way. Yeah, after he wins, they're like buddies or something. So it's not like a rivalry or villainy. Yeah, and that yeah. Grand Kai, uh, he was like some old guy with like short shorts and like a boombox or some shit. <laughs> yeah, he was like a burnt out rock star or something. <laughs> I did not get to experience PyCon because I was like mostly comics only. Uh, okay. I got to see a, I got to see a couple episodes at friends' houses, and I had like a, a major, I don't know, like soul bond with Piccolo. Like every time he showed up on screen, I was just like, yes, this is me. Um, but then they started calling me Vegeta in middle school, and everything went bad. Oh no! Because I was short. 
and, and got in fist fights and had a bulgy vein on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Would that like amp you up sometimes? Would you be like, I'm the prince of all saints and just knock out a kid next to you? Oh my god. <laughs> you should have no. just owned it. I kind of did. Like, they <laughs> they started, like, um when I was in Japanese club in high school, I ended up accidentally being, like, gifted it. Uh, it was awesome. There were two clubs. There was the Japanese culture club, and there was the anime club. And they were run by twin sisters. Oh, I'm weird. serious. Like, twins. Wow. Twin sisters. One one twin ran, ran one club. One, tri- one twin ran the other club. And they both graduated, and there was nobody to succeed their place. And so, so I just, I was, they just gave it to me. And the one before me had been named, like, the Empress. And I was like, okay, that's too much. But they're like, <laughs> we have to have something to call you. I'm like, okay, um, I'm the Prince. Just gonna do that. And then... <laughs> After that, it was like, Prince L, Prince L, can you come and do this for us? Can you come and do that? So, there you go. That's the story of how I became Prince of Japanese Club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want that on, like, a business card or something and make it official. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great, though. And then I had an email address for a while that was, like, Prince of All Mathematics. It was <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, memories as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There, there you go. Humiliation time. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man, we made it to round three. That's exciting. Yeah, I didn't expect this. I don't have a third category. <laughs> oh, here we go. Sing. Oh dear. Nope. All right, got one. All right, so since we talked about Final Fantasy, it's going to be a very easy one we go to a lot gladiatorial combat you Ooh. pick a final fantasy character to fight on your behalf oh from any of the games huh yeah that is actually really interesting it's like almost a no-brainer and i feel like we're gonna say the same person but i'm not sure yeah since we all have a love for ff9 man i'm thinking about it and Hmm. I'm pretty uh, sure. Uh, like, what I'm about to ask is, like, almost giving it away. Does it have to be a character, or could it be a summon? Oh. Uh, I feel like summons would be cheating, because isn't, okay. isn't the one just, like, god of lightning? Like, isn't he a supernatural being of... There's all sorts of summons, so that's why I was just wondering if that was even open. But if let's just keep it closed to characters... Knights of the Round? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I believe one of the summons destroys the planet. Like, the uh, animation for the summon is him, like, blowing up half the planet. So, I feel like that would be too much. (laughs) Alright, no, fair enough. I'm glad I asked. Alright, well then... Okay, I have my answer, but if we have a standstill, I'm gonna... I have a backup, too. I've got one. Okay. Alright. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Sephiroth. I'm sorry, what was your now? Quistus. Quistus? Oh, is that the big white thing that wore the chef hat? No, that's Queen of No, Quen. that's Queena. Oh, Queena Quinn. That is the trolliest thing in existence. Oh, she's terrifying. I almost uh, did Queena. 
No. I almost <laughs> did too, actually. When when I heard your answer, I was like, I should have saw him with Queena for the troll factor. God damn it. <laughs> oh, seriously? Queena versus Queena? That would be great. <laughs> Pretty sure I had a nightmare like that after I played that game for a while. Uh, so what was your Quistus? Yeah, Quistus. Quistus takes no shit. I... I don't think from I Final Fantasy VIII? She's from Final Fantasy VIII. She's the instructor oh. from Balaam Garden. She has a sweet whip and some nice boots. And she, like, her special power is like Queen of Quens. She picks up her enemy's skills and stuff. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Damn. Well, her versus Sephiroth, she probably could hold her own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably picked the one character that might not be able to beat her, like... If she just steals his power. Yeah. That's true. She's like the ditto of Final Fantasy, I guess. That's what, yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. Ooh. And then Sephiroth. Okay. Sephiroth. And I even said if it came to a standstill, I have a backup character if we're going to go tag team match. Okay, let's hear it. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I should come up with somebody else. Oh, I knew you were going to do Vivi. <laughs> that's what mine was gonna be <laughs> yeah without a doubt like he's my favorite hmm i say like aiko aiko versus vivi Oof. like i feel like vivi vivi's like kind of shy aiko has no like limits on her power she doesn't no reason she's like eight or something she has all of a child's terrifying sociopathy is is Iko the uh, girl with the horn that summons? Yeah. She... Oh, okay. Yes. All right. I want to make sure I didn't mix her up with somebody else. Oh, that's... See, you're playing off the child sociopathy, and that's that's a good route to go with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now this just got much harder with the other characters. Oh. I love Vivi though. Yeah, Vivi's good thinking, stuff. I'm yeah. literally picturing this battle going on in my head right now, and uh, it's really tough to say because I just don't know. I I think Sephiroth has the upper hand, but since he's up against a Ditto, it's almost like that's nullified, and then it really just boils down to, yeah, Vivi and Eco, or yeah. Didn't Vivi and Eco have some sort of like? playful flirting going on or since they were both like the kids of the group the little ones yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that did kind of happen so huh jeez this is tough uh let's see oh you said the comic yeah, yeah. <laughs> i see whoa oh so if that's what she's all about <laughs> Yeah, I'd say she eats them to death. <laughs> <laughs> no, <Nah>, but seriously? <laughs> oh, man. We'll have to include that comic in the uh, episode description or on the website. Yeah. If you See, that's the thing. If she can comic or copy powers, Sephiroth really... It doesn't matter really who she fights, because she's on par with them. Yeah, but like... I mean, there's kind of a question... You can't copy something if it kills you. So, like, if he just cuts her in half, then she's kind of dumb, right? But I do also hate Sephiroth. Because <laughs> yeah. in Kingdom Hearts 2, I thought he was... I thought I didn't know he was optional. I thought you had to fight him. 
So no. I spent days, days fighting him, and really? I got so close. Man, he is a total bitch in both games, but I think he's definitely noticeably more challenging in the first game. Did you notice that? In Kingdom Hearts 1 rather than 2? Yeah. Or? Yeah, Sethroth is, a, I think, an optional in both. And, yeah, I found him to be way more challenging in the first game. Yeah, I think so. Like, he would just, like, literally one-shot you if you weren't, like, completely leveled up. <laughs> and I mean, like, seriously, that was... Uh, it was just wasn't even a, a battle. It was just, like, a humiliating, like, well, I'm just gonna go die. But I, I did eventually come out on top, which was just, like... I, I was, like, sweating bricks. Yeah, I was watching my friend playing it. Playing it. I'm not sure if I actually saw. Like, did you get to play as? Were you playing as Squall, or Leon, or were you playing as? Um, <laughs> what's his name? Cloud. The the guy with brown hair who looks like Titus. Sora. There we go. Uh, yeah, oh, Sora. Yeah. I don't remember, but there was some fight with Sephiroth that was kicking. Like, I had this friend that we would tag team these games with, and, um, <laughs> like one of us. It's like Pokemon. One person does the controller and the other one yells around. (laughs) (laughs) That, like, I think she literally cried. (laughs) She normally did not cry at bosses. um, But she had a thing for Sephiroth because she'd never forgiven him over the whole Eris incident. Sure. After that, there was just so much curb stomping. Hours and hours. She could not satisfy her grudge. <laughs> it's just beating up it's just like beating up your childhood bully and just like exactly. you can just do it over and over again. Oh, see, I love Vivi so much, but I hate I Sephiroth think, so much. I know, but I think their combined efforts in any tag team, like oh Don't you put just... them on the same level. Vivi would not tolerate Sephiroth. He would stand oh, his ground. Yeah, potentially. Well, I mean... He could have an army of VVs. <laughs> well, we saw how that does work. Totally no, I know, could. I was kidding. FF7 <laughs> is all about the cloning thing. Right? But in but in FF9, we saw how they built the Black Mages and how they just fell apart, and VV had to watch how all of his... what he re- related to his family just died from... Oh, now I'm getting sad. I know, that was a really uh, depressing... Uh, but it also... I don't know. It had its moments. I remember that, yeah, the end of that, I just cried uncontrollably. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. Eris didn't get me, but that bit, boy. Yeah, same. Yeah, that one hit home. Eris was ruined for me years ahead of time before I even played it. me too. Yeah, me too. That was just the internet. Yeah. I... Because I'm remembering Sad Vivi now and Sephiroth, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Koidos and Ico. Oh, <laughs> shit! Hey! Uh, good game. Good game. Thank you there for playing. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Doug might have played the most and lost. Oh no, Mark! I think has a record for zero, and he's played oh, twice. Yeah, but I probably played the most and only have one win. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the most losses, but whatever. There you go. You won with memories and uh, Quetus and Eco. 
Yeah. Yeah, that was quite the battle. I guess that you could fun. say memories lost it for you, Doug, because I remembered all that terrible stuff with Vivi. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, damn it. We- wow. Memories as a weapon. That sounds like a band name. <laughs> yeah. Good observation. Nice. There you go. <laughs> but, um, alright, guys, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug, L? Like, is there any future projects you might have or any place you might want uh our listeners to interact with you yeah so i'm on twitter as magnolia machine all one word um so that's a good place to plug uh i wanted to say that we have so um our graphics guy solifuge he's da holds d-a-h-o-l-d on twitter and is spinning off to make a new like an awesome MMO named Paraterra. I don't want to leak too much because it's you know it's like it's his business. But what I've seen looks really original and really cool. So awesome. Yeah. And yeah, as far as my own projects, like just between you and me, there's some good stuff coming up. But I Ooh. don't think that there's anything that's going to come out under wraps yet. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, gotcha. Well, hey, maybe the next time we have you on the show, you'll have an update on that. Yeah. Yeah, for the DBZ episode. <laughs> yeah. I will look forward to it. I've got some <laughs> ideas and some basic documents, um, and I've got some plans to... I don't know if anybody likes bullet hells, but I've got some plans that I think will... Uh, keep you busy for a while but for now (laughs) i can't say anything more (laughs) all right fair enough um i guess we should plug ourselves while we're at it um you can always uh tweet at us or find us on facebook our handles abt silence and if you want to email us just email us at uh, almost better than silence at gmail.com um anything you want to add bren uh not really uh look up we'll put a link in the show description as well for Oranami Origami so you guys can play it yourself and download it. Like I said, it's great and it's a very unique game. Yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So, and yeah, leave a comment or two on Facebook or in on the website. And thanks for listening. Thanks yep. for having me. All right, me. we'll see you guys. Of course, we'll see you next week.